0: You're listening to The Open Podcasts. You see this guy here? This guy was picking cotton at three, planting onions at four, in the cemetery watering at six, in the Marine Corps at 17, and won 89 tournaments and six majors in his lifetime. There's Trevino's little tip shot. Yeah, the Open Championships were very, very special to me. Very special. It's still very special today.
1: Nasty bunker shot at 16, slightly downhill. No follow through, squirting it up. Oh
0: my God, straight in the hole for a two. Now, if you're ever going to win championships, well, those are the sort of things that happen to you. That was nested.
2: Lee Trevino. Would you name him when mentioning the all-time greats of the game? His relatively short 16-year career produced six major championships and 29 PGA Tour victories. The Merry Mechs, as he would become known, would spend his life defying the odds, taking the journey from a local caddy to become a Hall of Famer. Trevino was one of the great ball strikers, but rather than his illustrious career, perhaps it was his personality, his love of the game and the smiles he brought to the world of golf which stood him apart from the crowd. This is Tales of the Open. This is the story of Lee Trevino.
1: Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away.
0: (laughs) I, I like people, I like being around them. He's always, I think,
1: what one might call good value, Trevino.
0: It's a small ball. Bigger hole. Yeah. <laughs> that one used use me a tennis ball tomorrow. Come on, Hubie, show them that hat you have on. If it rains, your head will weigh about 400 pounds. You know, I, I actually went to, to, a, to a person one time and asked them why people made such a big deal out of me. Because I couldn't understand it.
1: I'm a little sharp guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he said, because there's millions and millions and millions of people that are working and, and they're doing something they don't like. And they look at you and you're doing something not only that you love but you're damn good at it and you make a living doing it and they just want to be touch you they want to be a part of you i have never seen fairways this narrow in my life
1: i i, I think i think that the man that was mowing had one eye or something you know <laughs> he could only see one I can side
0: i can see that in people and, and if i can make them happy and, and and make their day a little bit better it it doesn't take any of my time because i'm walking by anyway i mean how much effort does it take for you to look at a person and say, how you doing today? And you don't, don't even break stride. Or just to put your hand out there and give that person a half five.
1: Lee Trevino, for one. Looking good.
0: Yeah, I always look good. Yes, he do. Think, yeah.
2: <laughs> one of the greatest characters in golfing history, Trevino's tale begins in Dallas, Texas, where he was born in 1939. His now famous zest for life was cultivated from humble beginnings.
0: Well, I was born in in Garland. I was born in the house. Uh, For a long time, I thought uh, I was uh, misled that I was born at Parkland Hospital, but I was not. I was born uh, a midwife. Never knew my dad. Uh, my grandfather raised me. Again, we lived in a, a shotgun house, as we call it, There's three rooms, and uh, I was raised on a cotton farm. Uh, gentleman owned 100 and something acres of cotton. I mean, I remember picking cotton when I was three years old, four years old. But we didn't we didn't have any <clears throat> any idea. We didn't have any idea that we were poor. Uh, I didn't realize that until probably I was 20, 19 or 20. You know, I mean, I was in the Marine Corps for four years. I got out when I was 21 years old, but. Nah, I mean, my my grandfather was a a very hard worker. He was from Monterrey, Mexico. He came here in 1913. He was a green card holder and uh, he dug graves. He was a grave digger. I think that's one of the reasons that I was as tough as I was and not scared of too much is simply because he used to water uh, at the cemetery at night during the summer and he would take me with him. And here's a five-year-old, four-year-old kid running around a cemetery in the dark with dead people i mean you gotta be pretty tough to do that i mean you can hear your footsteps when you walk by a big you know when you walk by a big a big you know a headstone you know you could hear your footsteps you would look around and you'd speed up a little bit you know?
2: from a kid growing up in the cotton fields Trevino's youth took a surprising turn when the family moved to a new home situated close to Glen Lakes Country Club.
0: I was a friend of the Green Superintendent's son. And we used to go out there and play, look for golf balls because we'd sell them. And uh, golf balls were very expensive after the war. Uh, They were very expensive. And so we started hitting balls and I started getting better and better. And then they started playing for quarters and nickels and dimes. Then we had about a 100 caddies that were all mixed. We had white, Hispanics, and blacks. And on the back of the caddy shack, we had a little three-hole triangle golf course that we built ourselves out of the dirt. And we'd all get back there after we caddied. Caddy fees were 90 cents for 18 holes. And we'd finish, and we'd go out there and play for dimes and nickels. And I practiced, and I knew right then that I could make more money by participating, playing the game than I could carry in the bag. And what I did is I started practicing and I got better and better and better and better and I started beating everybody. And it got to the point to where every place that I played and everyone that I played, I could beat. That's how I got started. I got started on that golf course. And that's that was my introduction to the game. Now, it was up to me because I didn't have any pushing me. It was up to me, in other words, to pursue it, to build a passion, do a lot of sacrificing and pursue this game and Luckily, I hit on it. The good Lord gave me the talent, and I hit on it. And I started practicing more and more and more. And I'll tell you something about this game. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Good Will Hunting. Damon, you remember, starred in that. That movie was all about, was about mathematics. and he could. You, the professor could put any problem on the board, and he could solve it. And I remember he and the professor sitting in a chair once, and the professor looked over at him, and he said, I don't know how you do that. And you remember what Damon said? Damon said, comes easy to me. And that's what this game did with me. It came easy to me. I can do anything you want with a golf ball. I just have to think about it. All I have to do is stand over a golf ball and say, okay, I'm gonna hit this ball high this way, low this way, I'm gonna bend it this way, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna hit it this way. And my body reacts to it. I don't know why. But I can, I can do tricks with the golf ball. I always could.
2: After a four-year spell in the Marine Corps and some subsequent work in construction, Trevino returned to playing golf in his early 20s. His immense prowess had not diminished during his time away, and Trevino was continuing to forge a remarkable reputation at a local level. His reputation grew so greatly, in fact, that nobody wanted to play Trevino because he was simply too good. Always a gambler, he had to find a new way to attract opponents. And he came up with an ingenious solution.
0: I, I was almost making a living uh, playing off. But you know, when you get to the point to where you, you're you beating everyone, no one wants to play with you. I had a part three course uh, here in Dallas over on Lovers Lane in Greenville. And the... the uh, the longest hole was 120 yards, and the shortest hole was 55 yards, 50 yards. And I came up with the idea of playing with a bottle. So it was a 32-ounce bottle, about that big around, 32 ounces, smooth. The reason it was Dr. Pepper, because it's a smooth bottle. Coca-Cola bottles are, you know, hour, hourglass shape. So I took adhesive tape, and I taped the neck, and then I took a left-handed glove, and I turned it inside out. And, and so I could put it on my right hand, and then I could hold it. Then I would throw the ball up like you're hitting a baseball with a bat. I'd throw it up, and, and I'd hit it. I could hit it high. I could hit it low. Now, sometimes they would break, but not all the time. And uh, I could hit it 100 yards. I could roll this ball 100 yards. Then I would turn it long ways with the bottom of it, and I would put croquet style you know, in between my legs. How they handicapped me with the bottle is that I would play anyone, they could use their whole set, bet whatever they wanted. All I did was take the ties. In other words, I got a half a stroke of hole. Now, so if I tied you on the hole, I would win it. And I'm proud to say that I'm sitting here telling you that I, I played with this bottle probably three years and never lost a match. Lee Vino sings his
2: favorite pop tune. This looks
0: like a cola, but it's not. You ought to try the different taste disguise. Don't you believe nobody else? I-
2: Needless to say, this story would go on to be pretty lucrative for Lee, and years later he signed a commercial deal with Dr Pepper for around $50,000. Whilst the young Trevino was a prodigious talent, he had always played locally, building his skills and reputation by beating all those in front of him, regardless of equipment. Yet it wasn't until 1965 that he would play his first professional tournament, and incredibly, his first official tournament at any level.
0: My first tournament win was was in 65, which was the Texas State Open, which is, I had never played in a tournament before. I'd never played in an amateur tournament or a professional tournament. And I entered the Texas State Open after practicing for about four years, and I won it in a playoff. And then I won the New Mexico Open, and then I repeated it in 66. I won both tournaments again, which were the only two I played in. I did play in the US Open in 66, I qualified for it, when when Arnie, uh, when Mr. Palmer lost that that uh, match to, to Billy Casper.
2: Trevino joined the PGA Tour in 1967. Although he feared no one on the golf course, it took him a while to feel like he really belonged, despite racking up seven wins, including the 1968 US Open in his first four years on tour. That all changed, however, at the U.S. Open in 1971.
0: I mean, I never thought that I belonged, and and and, and rightfully so, because I didn't have the equipment to belong. It's almost like a, a farm boy going to Oxford. You understand what I'm saying? And he doesn't have the clothes. Now, you can't go to Oxford, man. You got tails, you gotta wear all that stuff. Can't do it, you see, you can't do it. In 1971, when I beat Nicholas in a playoff at Merriam, I shot 68 and he shot 78, 71. Meet by three. When I left there was the first time, and I'd been playing the tour four years, and I, when I left there, I really felt deep down that I belonged. I was there, I've arrived.
2: Although 1971 would go on to be a stellar year in Trevino's career, his first experience of golf on British soil was actually a couple of years prior. In 1969, he had traveled to Lancashire for the 98th Open Championship. And it's fair to say it wasn't an immediate love affair with Lynx Golf.
0: My first Open was living. Hated it. Didn't like it. I thought there was a lot of luck involved. it. Uh, hit a drive down the middle of the fairway. Uh, I mean, it would, it would, it would start bouncing. And jump on the train and go to London. You know, I said, "Man, what the hell happened there?" And the guy said, "Well, these, these, these fairways are very wavy." You know, didn't like it. Didn't like it. And the more I went there, and the more I played it, the more I fell in love with it. I mean, it is absolutely terrific. In July
1: 1971, a record entry of over 500 golfers from 23 nations gathered in Southport on the Irish Sea in Lancashire, England for the 100th Open Championship. Huge crowds came with them to smash all existing attendance records, and ironically it was Royal Birkdale, the latest links to be placed on the championship rotor, that played host to this historic event.
2: Having collected his second US Open just a month earlier at Marion, before following that up with a win at the Canadian Open, Trevino returned to the Lancashire coast in 1971 as one of the favourites to lift the claret jug. The year previously, the Merry Mechs had finished in a tie for third at St Andrews, having led the championship for the first three rounds, but had faltered to a final round 77, with the great Jack Nicholas eventually going on to claim the victory. Royal Birkdale was to provide another stern test, with even his accommodation for the week providing an early challenge.
0: Well, the opened in 1971 was at Burkdale. And I stayed at the Prince of Wales. And they gave me a room above the kitchen. <laughs> and I was going to tell you, they're lucky that they gave a Mexican that room because no, no one else could have stayed there. I'm telling you, because I'm used to the heat. And it was bloody hot that week. That week. And so uh, we we were we we were we were steaming up there.
1: This then is the hundredth open. And here's the man they're all going to watch, Lee Trevino. They're watching him because in the last three weeks, he's won the US Open and the Canadian Open. And here he is on the first green, the first round, this to start with a birdie. And in it goes, and right ahead of him in the procession, playing the 18th, his fourth shot, is the Formosan golfer, Lu Liang Huan. about a four or five footer now to save his power to finish in 70 and the power is 73. This amiable player raises his hat in a gesture that's been copied all over the world and so for that matter is the hat.
2: Lu Liang Huan or Mr Lu as he became better known was to play a starring role in the centennial playing of the Open. A gloriously sunny first round was played that Wednesday, the then-traditional starting day for the Open Championship. And by the end of proceedings, Lou sat at three under par, one stroke behind the informed Trevino, with a host of others, including Tony Jacklin, also firmly in contention. Day two would continue in similar fashion.
1: Back to Trevino, this time at the 18th. He's five under, Jacklin... 7-under, Lou 6. Trevino here has a putt for 3, which would be an eagle.
2: A 50-footer on 18 for eagle meant that Trevino would have a tie for the lead for a second consecutive day.
1: Wonderful finish for Trevino, and he joins Jacqueline at 7-under after two rounds.
2: In round 3, Trevino would be paired with Jacqueline, a pairing that would foreshadow what was to come a year later at Muirfield. The two of them jostled for position alongside Mr. Liu, but birdies at 17 and 18 for Trevino would see him finish the day one stroke clear of his two rivals, setting up a final round pairing with Mr. Liu on Championship Saturday.
0: He and I go way back. We go way back. In 1959, uh, Mr. Liu and I played a match in Tamsui in Taiwan. And believe it or not, he beat me. He beat me 10 and eight. He won every hole, 10 straight holes. And then a month later, he came to Okinawa and I played him and I beat him four and three. But we had been friends forever and ever and ever.
1: And now for the fourth and final round of this tremendous open championship. Mr. Lou, playing in the last pair this time, 10 under with Trevino 11 under. Big Trevino.
0: Uh, Willie, let me try the three wood. I don't want to hit the one iron today. I think there's just not enough wind there. I really don't want
2: to hit the three wood, but I can't. I gotta play this round. Can't pass, Paddy. Hey, way over there. A birdie at the first hole for Trevino was the start of one of the most incredible front nines in Open Championship history. His ball striking was good. But with the putter, Supermix simply could not miss.
0: I came out firing. I birdied, I believe I birdied four of the first five. And I remember in one, in two. And I remember there was a, a, the dog leg right, the fifth or sixth hole.
1: Trevino, having birdied the fourth, has another putt for a birdie to go 14-under.
0: I remember hitting five wood, about four inches.
1: Never saw such putting, as Trevino has exhibited so far.
0: And Mr. Luke called me Bird, and he says, Bird, he said, do you want to go through? He wanted to know if I wanted to play by myself because I kept birdie in these holes.
1: Here's Trevino putting to be 15 under. Quite extraordinary, and he's four under par for the first six holes at this supreme moment. Out the eighth, Lou is Still eleven under Trevino, fifteen, but he's only got this one to stay fifteen under. You hardly believe the evidence of their eyes
0: as it goes in. When I made that putt on the eighth hole, I remember. I remember the putter I had in my hand. I can see it right now. I was putting with a Tommy Armour uh, uh, 38.52 blade, and and I had a I had a, about a forty foot putt for a par. And I held it, and I just went limp, and I fell straight on my face. I mean, I just felt re- just prone position, you know, with a cap of bill underneath my nose and everything.
1: Down the hill. he yeah. Never seen so many putts hold as Trevino has during this championship. Lou drops a shot at the ninth to go ten under, and Trevino is out in 31 at this supreme moment for a five-shot lead.
2: For the front nine of that final round, Trevino was having fun, entertaining the crowds like a true showman, and the fans loved him for it. But as he turned for home, perhaps it was overconfidence that brought Supermex back towards his rivals.
0: That tournament shouldn't even have been close until the, when I stand on the 17th tee, i had lost two shots and um, shouldn't have done that. Um, and, yeah, you, you lose your concentration. You you forget why you're there in the first place. In other words, you know, you you. It, it's okay to interact with people, but not every second. You understand what I'm saying? And so, yeah, I lost my concentration for a little bit. Now, my fault. It was my fault. Willie was trying to kick me in the rear, but uh, you know me, I'm I'm kind of a self-made guy, and uh, I I I've never been one for authority, and I don't take. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't take criticism lightly, you know. i I kind uh, I of my own guy, yeah, always been that way.
1: So now we get to the 17th tee. This is a drive between two great hummocks. You can carry the one on the right, but you can't carry the one on the left. So we you know obviously it's hooked that one a bit. I don't think he knows where it is, but I do. It's on the top of the sand hill, in a very nasty place indeed.
0: And what happened is I got in trouble on the 17th hole. Uh, I was using the small ball, uh, which everyone was, and I aimed it left side up on the hill and I was gonna cut it in the fairway. And I did, in other words, I hit it straight. And it got up there to almost an unplayable lie and it took me two shots to get out. Oops. Oh. Right
2: here. Trevino's ball had barely moved out of the sandy wasteland of the dune where it had come to rest, and he was faced with the same problem again.
1: Oh, my God. Hello. 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 Now, there was a dramatic tragedy for Trevino. Three ahead. He's played three lose one. Passes by Lou's ball with mixed feelings, I'm sure. Lou absolutely teed up in the middle of the fairway. And Trevino goes ahead to look for his ball in the rough on the right in three. Now, this is a great moment for Lou. He could just about reach the green. Oh, no, he fell right away from that one. Actions speak louder than words. And he's short of the green on the right.
0: And Mr. Lou was just right in front of the green, right side, I can remember it right now, and he was close to that bunker, there's a little pop bunker on the right side there. And he had a very simple little chip down, and he chipped with too much of a lofted club, and the ball checked on him. And he left it about 10 feet short, and he missed it.
1: Three, the difference between them, when they started this hole, here's Trevino, coming up with not a very good pitch. and she's fifth.
2: Trevino would miss the putt and card a double bogey seven. It meant that he would go to 18 with a one-stroke lead, but perhaps surprisingly, feeling somewhat relieved.
0: I, I was upset of what I did, but also I, I've been in this position before, and, uh, and Willie, uh, uh, Willie Aitchison says to me, he says, listen, don't get upset. He said, you're still leading. He said, now, if you'd have lost your lead, he said, I can see where you could get upset. He says, but you, you didn't lose your lead. You only lost two shots.
1: So, there's everything to play for between these two. Lou first. Still swinging nice and quietly, but that's over to the left somewhere. Torino, nothing deterred. Gives it a good bang there, and in fact, it goes right down the middle. Still a great spirit between these two as they come up to this crucial hole. Torino, one ahead. At the 72nd hole.
2: As they walked off the 18th tee, the two men hugged, laughed, and joked their way up the fairway as the crowd wrapped around them in traditional open fashion. If they were feeling nerves, then neither showed it. But Mr. Liu's ball had finished in a very awkward lie. It was a good two feet above his stance on the edge of a bunker on the left hand side of the fairway. A bad break for the man from Taiwan.
0: I knew that the golf gods were watching over him because he hit a drive almost in the left bunker and I was to the right of the bunker. I hit six iron to the back of the green. I remember the club I hit. I hit it to the back of the green. That's what I was trying to do. And the pin was kind of middle left or back left a little bit, close to that bunker on the left. And Mr. Lou had to stand in the bunker with the club, you know, just almost belt level, belt buckle level. And he swung at this wood, trying to roll it, and he swung over the top of the ball, hit it in the heel, and the ball came right back over his shoulder and hit a lady, God bless her soul, right between the eyes.
1: And that must be a tremendous hook. Into or over the crowd somewhere.
0: And I mean, she was bleeding pretty bad.
1: And her cries of, is there a doctor in the house?
0: And Mr. Lou was very upset.
1: The man, who was actually standing beside her when this happened, told me that if it hadn't hit the spectator, Lou's ball would have vanished into some of the thickest rough in Berkeley.
0: But the thing about it is the ball came back out in the fairway. His ball was going to go on the, in the, in the gorse or the heather over there, and it came back out in the fairway, and Mr. Lou, I think, hit eight iron or seven
2: iron
0: uh, on the green. He hit it about eight feet. I putted my ball down three feet from the hole.
1: Well, that's a pretty good one, about three feet, but not dead at such a moment. Now this is the vital one, six or seven feet. This to make Trevino putt his to win. And what a wonderful putt by Mr. Lou. After all that, he gets his birdie for. And Trevino has got to hold this one. Little less than Sanders missed last year. exactly the same way and before anybody could really see him do it, he knocked it in. thrown his hat through the crowd. Trevino
0: is the champion. He holds his. At the time, my confidence was so up with the putter that I wasn't taking any time whatsoever. I just won the U.S. Open and the Canadian Open. This is my third tournament in a row. And I was putting extremely well and actually the television missed the putt. If you look at that film, Mr. Lou was parading around with his little hat up off his head and everybody was giving him a high, you know, giving him a standing ovation and the camera was following Mr. Lou. And I put my balls down and didn't even line it up. I just put my ball down, pick up the coin, went around, knocked the three-footer in the middle of the hole to win my third tournament in a row. And uh, TV missed it. They missed it. Wouldn't have missed it today because A lot of cameras today, a lot of
2: cameras. As winners go, the Birkdale crowd could not have been happier. They took Mr. Liu to their hearts and would have cheered him home had he gone on to be victorious. But Trevino had endeared himself to the British public. They hadn't seen a golfer with such a talent for entertainment before, and certainly not one capable of dominating the sport. In typical fashion, His speech at the prize-giving ceremony struck the perfect balance of humour and gratitude.
1: The champion golfer of the year, with a score of 278 and prize money of £5,500, Lee Trevino. Gosh, there's not too much I can say that hasn't already been said, but... uh, we had a tremendous day out today. I was playing with Lou. We were having a lot of fun. He's, he made the statement that he wanted to apologize to the lady that he hit on the 18th. I said, you don't need to apologize to her. Her lawyer will be contacting you in the next two days. But I would like to say one thing, get a little serious here, which I don't get very often. But uh, I would like to thank everybody here at Royal Berkdale. I enjoy playing here very, very much. Uh, and I was really looking forward to coming back and playing your great golf course. But I do want to say that without you people supporting us, we wouldn't be able to have these golf tournaments. So for me to you, thank you very much for letting or just being able to win your great, great, great trophy. Thank you very much. So it's Lee to be champion
2: of the United States. As the 101st Open approached in the summer of 1972, Trevino, although having had a quiet year by his own standards, recording just one win, was making extra preparations to defend his title, which by his own admission was unusual.
0: The only time that I ever prepared for a major championship was that second open championship when we played at Muirfield when I went to Colleen, Texas, and trained. I had never trained for a tournament before. Uh, I just go to a tournament. You know what I do? I play a tournament, I play the next one. I play the next one, I play the next one. I take a week off and then I come back. In. I, I got ready in, in, uh, uh, in the practice area. I moved dirt. That's what Mr. Hogan used to say. He said, the guys that win are the ones that move the most dirt. If you move a lot of dirt, you got to play pretty good. And the more dirt you move, the more confidence you get. I wanted to, to, to defend. And I was living in El Paso at the time and the wind blows extremely hard there. And every day I would pray that the wind would blow hard, and what I would do is I'd go outside and and I would hit balls with goggles on because it was blowing and the, the sand was blowing. You couldn't see very well.
2: Trevino used some unorthodox practice methods in his preparations, even hiring the daughter of the local professional to follow him in a golf cart whilst he ran the course.
0: And I would play 18 holes and run between shots. And I would run 18 holes. Uh, every shot I'd hit, I'd hit the driver, I'd take off running. She had a cart, she'd follow me. I'd hit the second shot, I would run. And I did this for 18 holes every day to get in shape. And and then in the afternoon, I would play golf, and I would hit, I would improvise. I would never hit the club that it was called for. If it was a seven iron shot, I would take a five iron, choke it down, hit it low. If it was a five iron shot, I'd take, choke it down, hit a three. And this is what I worked on the whole time, the whole time. Went to Muirfield. Unfortunately, it was 95 degrees every day, and the wind didn't blow. <laughs> so I had to go back to the highball. I said, oh, my. Well, the championship in nineteen seventy-two was Muirfield. And we decided to leave El Paso and go to the championship. I was defending champion. And we rented the Yester House, which is the castle there in Gifford. And we landed at the wrong airport. God's truth, landed at the wrong airport. We're supposed to have gone into Glasgow, Edinburgh, and we got off at Presswick. Okay, so here we are. I'm defending champion, had the claret jug, everything. I'm walking off the airplane. I'm waiting. For the media and all my fans and everybody to say, man, the man is back, the man is back. Not a soul. Not a person. Nowhere in the airport.
2: Even when Trevino finally arrived in East Lothian and made his way to Muirfield, it's fair to say that not all eyes were on him. Of course, as defending champion and one of the world's best players, he was met with a warm respect. But the majority of the attention was on the Golden Bear. Nicholas was heading into the Open, having already captured the Masters in April and the US Open at Pebble Beach one month prior.
1: Every year, the Open seems to attract more and more people, and this year was no exception. Once again, the records were broken, and 84,000 people came to watch in the four days. Lee Trevino, the gay extrovert, and also, incidentally, the holder. All eyes, though, are really... On Jack Nicklaus and the prospect of his grand slam. He's got two legs in hand already. Now he wants this one and the USPGA Championship.
2: The links of Muirfield were set to provide a stern test. The examination would be golf in its purest form.
0: What we found out is that it had a drought. And the course was extremely fast. Extremely fast. And actually, the greens were burned out. In other words, they were putting the flags only in the low spots because that's where the only green grass was. When we finished there, that tournament, there was not a blade of green grass anywhere on it. It was just all brown. I was hitting one-iron's 300 yards and and, and what have you off the tee.
1: Lee Trevino prepares to defend his title. He seemed happy with that. and Trevino on the 18th. He has to get down in two from here for a par 71. And does it right in the middle of the hole. A good par start for Trevino.
2: The afternoon saw a lovely day turn wet as the rain swept across the Firth of Forth. Jack Nicholas was out in the worst of it, But perhaps the extra moisture in the turf helped him to a 1-under par round of 70.
1: So at the end of the first day, it's Tupling 3-under, Jacqueline 2-under, Nicholas 1-under, and Trevino even.
2: The second round continued in the same vein. A stiff breeze alongside the fast and firm conditions meant scoring remained tough.
1: Jacqueline has a long one for a try for a birdie. And in it goes to the general delight.
2: Jacqueline and Trevino were in at minus one, with Nicholas just a stroke back at even par.
1: And for the third round, some more wonderful weather, huge crowds pouring in again, and all the players they've come to see grouped together at the top of the tree. Isn't this a beautiful day? This would even be a nice
0: day in Houston.
2: The third round, Championship Friday, moving day, and Jacqueline was fastest out of the blocks. Tony was gone.
0: He, he had a big lead uh, with about five holes to go. Jacqueline putting for a three. <laughs>
1: and there's an eagle three for
0: Jacqueline. He goes. Tony was as fine a player as I've ever seen. I mean, he could do it all. He he was a good-looking guy. I mean, uh, very marketable. Uh, besides, he could really play. He could really play.
2: Jacqueline had moved himself clear of the pack with some excellent golf. But Trevino, never to be outdone, was about to go on a very special run.
1: Trevino, in a hot streak here. He's had birdies at the 14th and 15th to go three under. That, lo- that looks to be hooked to me, It's the short 16th. And in fact it is. And he's very awkwardly placed in the bunker there.
2: What happened next would set the tone for the remainder of the championship.
1: See how awkwardly that lies in the back of the bunker and he's got to get it up over the face and stop it fairly quickly. Very difficult one. Looks like going over the back. And instead of that, it goes straight into the middle of the hole and disappears like a rabbit on the second bunk. And I barely think it would have gone over the back of the green. So there's a two for Torino. In goes. Four under.
2: A birdie four at 17 was matched by Jacqueline. And the two men stepped onto the 18th tee, both at five under par.
1: Torino first. Yes, yeah, Judy. Jacqueline. <laughs> I can make a birdie here. i never made five birdies in a row in Great Britain. I mean in Good. Scotland, excuse me. <laughs> no hesitation pitches it up six iron and too far and over the back about a yard and here's Tovino from the back trying to get down in two more for
0: his par. and then I chipped in on 18 from the left side
1: well that really was a diabolical one five in a row what an achievement
2: Friday felt like a final round. It had drama to the finish and set up another epic battle between Trevino and Jacqueline. The two competitors shared a moment, laughing together as they left the 18th, preparing for what they thought would be a two-horse race heading into Saturday's final round.
1: Nicholas, starting six behind now and surely out of it.
2: Six strokes was a large deficit to overcome but if one thing had been learned over the previous decade, you can never count out Jack Nicklaus.
1: And that's a birdie for Nicklaus, 32, starting even,
2: now four and Meanwhile Trevino faltered, dropping two strokes, whilst Jacqueline had lost just the one.
1: If had a birdie, well, here is a charge, if ever there was one in golf, by Nicklaus.
2: Birdies at 10 and 11 put Nicklaus clear of the final pairing, but when they got to the ninth hole, and the roars of the crowds following Jack clearly sparked them into life.
1: Jacqueline, it's his second shot to the long ninth. Yes, a magnificent one, probably the best scene in the whole championship. Along comes Trevino, and that one's very nearly as good. Eagle three for Trevino at the ninth. So that's six under and back in the lead. There's Jacqueline on the ninth, putting for his eagle. And that's two of them on his par five ninth goal.
2: The names competing atop the leaderboard could hardly have elicited more excitement from the Muirfield galleries. The three previous Open champions, all with their eyes on the prize. Nicholas and Trevino at six under, Jacqueline at five.
1: Jacqueline on the 12th, about five yards is for a birdie to go six under.
2: The three were all tied. Nicholas, a few holes ahead, lipped out on the 16th, making bogey. A par par finish meant he would set the mark in the clubhouse with a score of 279, five under par. And so the stage was set. Trevino and Jacqueline, like the day before, would head down the stretch in a head-to-head battle, arriving at the par five 17th hole, both sitting at six under.
0: When we came to that last round on the 17th hole, I got ready to hit my tee ball and the cameraman ran in front of the tee. And I backed off and I went up to hit it again and then the guy with the tripod for the camera ran in front of me again. So I had to back off twice from hitting my t-ball, and I hit a bad t-ball. I hit it in the bunker on the left. I had to come out sideways.
1: And that's a bad one by Trevino. Ah. It's hooked into a bunker under a steep face.
2: He has bunkered it. He's put it in the first bunker, which is gonna be very, uh, very bad, because I don't think he can do much out of there except hit it maybe 40 or 50 yards forward and I'm not sure he can get on in his third shot from there. He'll have great difficulty getting near the green and three. There you saw the lie he had, he
0: fell down after he hit it. I had put my ball pin high to the left on 17, the par five. And Tony was right next to me in two, but I was in three. And I chipped first, I was out. And I kind of caught it a little clean and the ball went (laughs) past the flag up on the hill, in other words, in the rock.
1: That's another disappointment It runs about 12 feet Over the back of the green
2: As they strode down The long narrowing fairway Trevino turned to Jacqueline Maybe with a feeling Of inevitability Or perhaps with an air Of gamesmanship And said Well There you are Tony It's all yours now
1: <laughs> Simple little shot for Jackie. He knows so well these seaside courses
0: Tony chipped it And he didn't hit it very well He hit it 20 feet short he was actually away with his 20-footer. I was closer, but he knew that I was a little upset, and he says, "Oh, he says, come on up if you want to." And that's usually protocol. In other words, when you're off the green, and the guy's on the green, generally you let him chip up. You see, there's Trevino's little chip shot. <laughs> it,
2: he chip it in. Trevino tossed his club up in the air, this time more in disbelief than joy. Three times in two days, Tony Jacklin had to watch as Trevino hold out from off the green at the most crucial of moments. And finally, it got to him.
0: Well, it shook him up so bad that he hit a terrible puck and he hit it three feet left of the hole. I mean, it wasn't even close. And then he missed that.
1: And there it is. And it's six for Jacklin... And a moment that you'll remember and go over and over again.
2: Jacqueline would later go on to admit that that very moment, although he didn't know it at the time, was the beginning of the end of his career.
0: In this game, when every time you hit a ball on a golf course, you're going to be some bad bouncers, and you're going to be some good bouncers. And that's, that's how you have to look at it. And Tony didn't look at it that way, evidently. I never talked to him about it. You know, that's his business, and... Uh, it had to be hard to do because he was a force to be reckoned with. I'm telling you, he could play, he could play. When he when he won the U.S. Open at Hazeltine in 1970, that's about as hard a golf course as we had ever played in the U.S. Open. And he walked it. I mean, he walked it. He didn't have any problem whatsoever beating everybody there, no. So now
1: they come. To the last hole with Trevino really almost unaccountably one ahead.
0: And I drove, I hit the driver very well on 18. I hit a I hit a drive past the bunkers. I hit an eight iron about what eight feet behind the hole, I guess.
1: Plays with refreshing speed, this very important shot. And just look at the result. Only about six feet from the hole.
0: I don't know of anything. Like it. I I really don't. Sabina can
1: hardly believe it's
0: true. The atmosphere, there's nothing like it. To walk up that fairway as a champion with your hat on and these people are up, it's like the old medieval days in the gladiator. The gladiator's going in. I've just defeated the guy. I've killed all the lions and everything,
2: and I'm going to go eat now. And it's
0: over, it's over, yeah.
2: And it was over. Jacqueline sadly made bogey on 18 to fall into third place behind Jack Nicklaus. Trevino didn't make his birdie, but his tap-in to win his second Open Championship was followed by the trademark throw of the hat and a big hug with his caddy, Willie Aitchison.
1: And he has this to win the Open. 6 under, and Lee Trevino wins the 1972 Open. by one stroke from Jack McClure, and two strokes from
0: Terry 84,000 people, is unbelievable, and I think and I that you enjoyed the weather, I hope you enjoyed the championship. I'm very proud to be your Open champion once again,
2: and I hope to see you again next year. Thank you. Trevino, playing in just his fourth Open championship, had achieved something remarkable he had successfully defended his claret jug, joining legendary Open champions Bobby Locke and Peter Thompson, as well as an idol of his, Arnold Palmer, as the only men to do so post-war. Though still less than a decade into his life as a professional, and at the relatively young age of 33, Trevino's career at the Open had peaked. He would return to play another 22 times, coming close on a number of occasions, but never quite managing to claim a third championship. Trevino would, however, continue to defy the odds, when, incredibly, he survived being struck by lightning at the 1975 Western Open, an incident that, by all accounts, he should not have lived to tell the tale of. But Trevino did live, and retained his remarkable knack for winning, eventually putting together a Hall of Fame career before playing in his final Open at St. Andrews in 2000 at the age of 61.
0: You see this guy here? This guy was picking cotton at three, planting onions at four, in the cemetery watering at six, in the Marine Corps at 17, and won 89 tournaments and six majors in his lifetime.
2: A man from humble beginnings... Lee Trevino had the ability and talent to compete and entertain in equal measure When the history books are written Supermex will go down as one of golf's favourite ever players and perhaps as the man who changed the perception of what a golfer needed to be While that character was built from cotton fields through the Marine Corps one thing is for sure that the Open will always hold a very special place in his heart
0: the Open Championship, it just carried a lot of weight. It goes back so far, you know, and there's been so many great players win this. I mean, it's just fantastic. To touch this claret jug is, uh, is very special. It's a very special thing. But it's even more special when you touch it and you know it belongs to you.
2: This has been an original audio production from The Open.